Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Is the Lord in the house or what? <laughs> Good stuff. I'm so glad you're in the house of the Lord today. I hope you'll be blessed. If you're here for the first time, we're going to treat you so many ways you're bound to like one of them. Just glad you're here. Make yourself at home. So we kicked off a new series last week we called We Need to Talk. And uh, we're talking about communication skills as it relates to whatever relationship you're in. I mean, we use marriage as an illustration sometimes during this series, but we'll also talk about parent-child relationships, co-worker relationships, fellow church member relationships, friendships. All kinds of relationships apply to the principles that we're in, uh, that we're talking about. But we started off kind of having some fun by talking about the codes that we often use when we talk. We say one thing, but in fact we mean the other. Is that true? Do we do that sometimes? And all the brave people in the room nodded their heads and said, yeah, we do that. It's, it's what we do. Uh, last week, we talked about the codes that men used, and I promised you guys that I would give you the inside scoop on some of the codes that your wives or your, the ladies in your life use. So, ladies, here we go. Brace yourself. You tell me if it's true. When she says, fine, what she really means, the argument is over. I'm right. You should stop talking now. That's what she really Amen? Is that what it's about? When she says five minutes, what she really means is, well, well, that depends. If she's getting dressed, five minutes means 30 minutes, right? But if you're watching the game and you've got five minutes to watch before you start helping around the house, she means five minutes. Got it? Okay, five minutes. Right. When she says nothing, what she means is something. That's what she means. And you better be on your toes because, hear me, arguments that end with nothing or start with nothing, usually end with fine. That's just how it works. Okay. When she says, go ahead, what she really means is you better hope you don't. <laughs> right? When she says, that's okay, that is one of the most dangerous statements a woman can ever make. Because what she really means when she says, that's okay, is I'm going to think long and hard while I decide how I'm going to pay you for what you just did. <laughs> that's, that's what she really means. When she says thanks, what she really means is thanks, just say you're welcome and shut up, okay? Just, just, that's, just it is what it is. My favorite, of course, is Jeff Foxworthy's when his wife said to him, is that your underwear in the middle of the bedroom floor? And he went, uh, yeah, what she meant was, please don't put your dirty laundry in the middle of the bedroom floor. He's thinking, well, they better be mine. Whose else would they be? <laughs> we all talk in codes, and it's fun to talk about those codes, but the truth of the matter is, even though we understand that communication is very, 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 did I say very difficult, we struggle to do it well, even though it's incredibly important. And so we're, in, we're investing a few Sunday mornings uh, this winter in a series we're calling We Need to Talk. And today, I want, us to, uh, I want us to learn some of the skills. I want us to challenge ourselves a little bit in some of the speaking skills that we use so we can get better at it. We're going to do that uh, by breaking down a passage the Apostle Paul gave us uh, that's, that's very short and sweet, but there's a whole lot of meat in it. Uh, and it gives us three foundational elements 
to healthy communication. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 27. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. Got your smartphone or iPad or whatever with you, you can do that. You can go to the app, the Bridge Church NC app, and all of the notes are there. Save it to your journal. You can take notes. And by the way, this would be a very good Sunday to take notes because this is going to, uh, the, 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 the sound guys asked me at the end of the message this morning, do you want us to play some music during the prayer? And I said, yeah. They said, what kind of music? I said, this is going to be a convicting kind of day. Because we all mess up in the areas we're going to be talking about today. And I hope that we'll hear it, receive it in the love that it's given as instruction from the Word of God. Three foundational elements to healthy communication found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 27. I've given it to you in the North Carolina version. Let's read it together. That's New Century, but North Carolina I like better. Here we go. You ready? One, two, three, go. You must stop telling lies. Tell each other the truth. When you're angry, do not sin, and be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. Do you see three elements in that? Stop telling lies, tell each other the truth, element one. When you're angry, don't sin, element two. Be sure to stop doing it by the end of the day. If you do those three things, you will go way, way, way down the road toward healthy communication. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church. I hope you'll come next Sunday and we'll continue this dialogue. You know I'm going to keep talking, so you can stay if you want. But that's, what, that's all I want to do. I want to unpack those three elements and see if we can ask ourselves the honest question, how am I doing? How, how, how are our relationships? You can put this, again, in the context of any relationship you want. You can context it in your marriage or you're with your kids or your friends or your fellow church members, whatever, because these principles apply in each one of those areas. So let's break it down. Element number one, then, is be honest and specific. Be honest and specific. Do you see it? Stop telling lies. Say it with me. Stop telling lies. Tell each other the truth. Now, that's an easy one because you would never lie to the people you're in relationship with, would you? I heard one person say, right. I heard a lot of people are going to laugh nervously. The fact of the matter is we may not intentionally lie to the people in our relationship, but sometimes we deceive them by just not saying anything. Hello, are you out there? Ask any counselor, they will tell you the hallmark of a dysfunctional family is secrecy. Dysfunctional families don't talk about what's going on. I see it as a pastor all the time. People will say things to me like, you know, we've got these problems in our relationship. And I'll say, are you able to talk about them? Oh, no, no, no. We could never talk about it. She couldn't handle it. Or, or he would go ballistic. I mean, there would be those kind of expressions to say, no, 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 we, we can't. We don't talk. We're not allowed to talk about that kind of stuff in our family. Hear me, guys. Relationship starts breaking down when the truth stops being told. But when honesty prevails, relationships grow. Oh, brother, if, you, if we adopted that policy in our family, it would get ugly quick. Well, maybe so. And so if you haven't done this in a very long time or if you've never done this kind of thing and you commit to this journey, then you might want to get a mediator to start. You, you may want to get a counselor to help you work through this. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this is an easy part of the journey, particularly if you've never done it before. But hear me, that's where trust grows. Honesty in relationship is where trust grows. And that's true in every kind of relationship. I mean, as, as a senior pastor of a, of a fairly large church with a fairly large staff, I learned a long time ago that a huge part of my job is to receive bad news well. Because if I don't receive bad news well, guess what will happen? 
the staff will stop telling me the bad news. And if they stop telling me the bad news, how long is it before I don't know what's going on anymore? And if I don't know what's going on, then how long am I still the leader? That doesn't just apply to being a pastor. That applies to your job at work as a shift manager or or owner or whatever it is that you do. It, It applies to your family. If they stop telling you the truth, you end up not knowing what's going on and you've got a relational problem. But hear me, guys. Here's the harder part of this journey. It's not just about being honest. It's about being specifically honest. That's, that's often even harder than being honest because that takes some real effort internally to get specific about what's going on. Let me give you an example. Let, let's say someone that you're in a relationship with decides to be honest, and they look at you and say, I am so mad with you. Okay, they've just been honest about how they're feeling, but do you know what to do to fix it? No, you don't have a clue what to do because you don't know the cause of the anger. Hear me, anger is not the issue. Anger is a symptom that there is an issue. Anger is just energy that says we got to do something about this. Anger is, you know, when you, when you get angry, what do you do? What, what do you do? Some people drive fast. Some people put their fists through a wall. Some people clean. Anger is energy. That's what we do when we get angry. We kind of pour it out. Some people internalize it and and turn it inward, and it becomes depression, but it's the same thing, same thing. But it's just a symptom. It's a warning light that there are issues. So sometimes if you're going to be honest and specific, you've got to do the hard work of figuring out, why am I mad? What is it that's really going on that's got me angry? And again, you may need a counselor to help you with this journey, a mediator of some sort, a pastor, somebody who can help you with this process. But I've found through the years working on this that, that it usually or often at least fits in one of the five uns, I call it, the five uns. You know what the five uns are? Let me walk through them with you right quick and we'll move on. Uh, when I get angry, I get angry when I feel unaccepted. Does that bother you? When, when somebody compares you to somebody else in negative terms or, or they nag you or they make fun of you or they put you down? When they hold you at arm's length, does that make you mad? Yeah, sometimes it makes me angry. It, it hurts my feelings, and, and I don't like the way I feel, so I get angry. Sometimes my anger is because I feel unaccepted. Sometimes it's because I feel unappreciated. If you, if you take me for granted or you don't value my efforts or, or, or everything in your life seems to be more important to you than me, I begin to, I don't like the way that makes me feel, and ultimately I get angry. Sometimes I feel angry because I feel unsupported when you don't help me, when I was counting on you to help me. I was expecting you to help me, or worse, when you work against me. I start going, whoa, wait a minute. I, I, I don't like the way that makes me feel. That makes me angry. Sometimes I feel angry because I feel unprotected. It's incredibly scary to say to a person your relationship that you're in relationship with to, to say, I feel vulnerable right now. Uh, because you aren't protecting me, and I counted on you for that. I blame you for that. We blame the person that leaves us feeling unprotected, and it makes us angry. Is this stuff making sense, guys? So sometimes you've got to cut back to the heart of what's really going on and not just be honest, I'm angry, but get down to being specific about what I'm being angry about. The fifth one is, is I feel uncertain. I feel unsure. When I get into a relationship and I don't know whether I can trust you or not. I don't know if you're going to tell me the truth. I don't know if you're going to keep my confidence. I don't know. I just don't know what's going to happen in our relationship. I don't like the way that makes me feel. And often I find myself getting angry about that stuff when you don't tell me the truth. That's huge. 
So Paul said, stop telling lies, tell each other the truth, which means be honest, but be as specific as you can. Hear me, the goal in relationship is not to vent your frustrations on each other. The goal is to get the issues on the table so you can fix them. And the only way you can fix them is if you're honest and specific about them. Make sense? I mean, we could spend the whole day just talking about that, uh, and some of you may need to dig into that and learn a little bit more about it, but let's move on. The second foundational element of healthy communication is, is I call it, be careful and considerate. Be careful and considerate. Go back to 426 of Part B. When you're angry, what does it say? Do not sin. Have you figured out yet that being angry is not sinful? You know, the Bible says God gets angry. God can't sin. It's not a sin to be angry, but what you do with your anger can become a sin. So you have to be careful when you're angry that you do this in a healthy way, in a biblical way, in a God-honoring way, in a relationship-building kind of way, because the wages of sin is death. And if you've been here very long, you've heard me teach that before. That word death is the Greek word thanatos that means the misery that always accompanies sin. So you get to introduce misery into your relationship by the way you handle your angry, anger. That the scariest part sometimes about being honest and specific, uh, specific uh, is that it's the last time we tried it, uh, the person we were trying to be honest and specific with got all defensive. Am I right? I mean, don't look at them. This is a non-elbow-throwing day. Come on, they got all defensive, or, or, or worse, they went on the offensive and counterattacked and went after you. You know, it's kind of, you think you're upset. Here's what I've been thinking. And before you know it, it's gotten ugly, and you, I, was just, I was just trying to be honest with you. And so the result is that we find ourselves kind of pulling back. And before you know it, we're not telling each other the truth. And before you know it, relationships start to break down. Now, here's, here's just a simple detail that I need you to keep in mind as you're considering this idea of being honest and specific in a careful and considerate kind of way. Dr. John Gottman from the University of Washington studies how people fight and how human relationships work in conflict. We'll spend some time before the series is over in, in what I call conflict resolution, how to fight fair, because uh, uh, I have fights and you have fights and all God's children have fights. Can I get an amen in the house? I got one universal amen in the house. Had one couple come to me several years ago. I uh, had been married for 24 years, and, and I said, how can I help you guys? And she said, he just told me he's leaving. And, and I said, uh, so what's the deal? She said, I don't have a clue. I, he just announced he's leaving, and I don't even know why. And I looked at him, and he's just kind of sitting there quietly. And I said, well, you, you don't have any idea why he's leaving? She said, no, I don't, we haven't had a fight in 24 years. I said, that's why he's leaving. Because he's tired of playing doormat. And he ain't got the guts to tell you what's really going on. He slid his chair back. I said, okay, I just hit that nerve, didn't I? <laughs> so you got you to clear the air. James Dobson says there are very few things better for a marriage than a good old-fashioned air-clearing fight. As long as you fight fair. Attack the issues, not each other. I can't go off on that tangent. We'll get to it in a few minutes. But hear me, guys. When we start talking about being uh, honest and specific, we've got to be careful and considerate. And here's what Dr. Gottman says. He says a conversation never rises above the first three minutes. Let that one sink in for a minute. A conversation never rises above the first three minutes. So if the first three minutes of a conversation are negative, they're attacking, they're defensive, they're counterattacking, 
You can talk for days. It will never get better. The only thing you can do is back off for a while, process through, pray for the Lord to give you wisdom and understanding, and then come back and try again because the conversation will never rise above the first three minutes. Now, if the first three minutes of a conversation starts with words like, I'm committed to us. I'm committed to our relationship, and, and, and we need to talk, and this isn't going to be fun for either one of us, but I believe with everything in me we're going to be closer on the other side of this conversation than we are right now. You start a conversation that way, you set yourself up for the chance to be honest and specific without a fight. You stand a much better chance of reconciling and resolving whatever issues there are. And in case you're thinking this is just pop psychology stuff, Dr. Gottman didn't think of it first. God did. Look at Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4. Read it with me out loud. Come on, 1, 2, 3, go. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Stop. What's he saying? Know that we have a relationship with the God of the universe, and he has a relationship with us. And they describe the various elements of that relationship. But the bottom line, it's about a relationship. It's not about keeping the rules and regulations. It's not about checking the box. It's about being in relationship. And then it goes on to say how he wants us in relationship with him to communicate with him. What does it say? Enter his gates with complaining and criticizing. Is that what it says? What does it say? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So how does God want us to approach him? With thanksgiving and praise. Whose image are we created in? God's. So he wants us to approach him in that way, and he's saying to us that he built us to approach each other the same way. Way. You know what I came to realize a long time ago? Kim and I just celebrated 43 years of marriage this past Friday. And, uh, yeah. I think we're going to make it. <laughs> you know, at one point Friday we had all the kids and grandkids together. And, 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 uh, and Kim and I found ourselves over in a corner somewhere. And I said, this is what our love made. <laughs> you know, coming up on eight grandkids now. And God's just blessed us in amazing kinds of ways. But I realized a long time ago uh, that, that, uh, that, that there would be times when I would be angry with her and, uh, and I would let that one thing that I was angry about influence our entire relationship. I finally figured out along the way, it's not Kim that I'm angry with. I love her. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's the one thing that happened. It's the one thing that she did or didn't do that I don't like. It doesn't define who she is. It doesn't define our whole relationship. It's one thing. So instead of attacking her, what if we attack the one thing and try to figure this out? So I found myself saying, you know, I love being married to this woman. We're going to be together for life. So to take this one thing and expand it to make it our whole relationship is just certifiably dumb on my part. And ever since I finally figured that out, I start conversations with, I know in the big scheme of things, this is nothing. I need you to know that I loved you before this happened, and I'm going to love you when it's over. But we're going to get closer if we sit down and talk through this thing and work this one thing out, because right now I'm feeling unappreciated. Right now I'm feeling 
unsure about our relationship. Right now, I'm feeling unprotected. Right now, I'm feeling, and we got to get through this. Can we work together to figure this out? What am I doing? I'm starting the conversation in positive terms. I'm starting the conversation leaning toward reconciliation before we ever get to resolution. Did I mention that last week? I'm dealing with my anger without sinning. I'm trying to be honest and specific, but I'm trying to do it carefully and considerately. Is this making sense? So let me just get real specific, okay, just like I did on the other one. Let me give you a list right quick. Jot these down. Take notes. I told you it's a good Sunday to take notes. Um, it's, it's in the app. You can pick them up there if you want to. But, but uh, people have identified, people that I study and trust have identified seven uh, dysfunctional communication patterns. We're in church. Let's call it what it is. Several, seven sinful patterns of communication. You, you understand that when I am selfish, I communicate in a dysfunctional way because selfishness is the root of every sin. Am I right? Think about it for a minute. We'll unpack that later in the series. It's just a little hook to get you keep coming. Selfishness is at the heart of every sin. And when I communicate selfishly, I usually do it in one of these seven ways. First of all, passive-aggressive. You understand the definition of passive-aggressive? It's communicating negative feelings or beliefs in an indirect and dishonest way. It's communicating negative feelings or beliefs in an indirect or dishonest way. Understand something. This may come as a surprise to some of you, but an aggressive person is easy to spot, right? I mean, you don't ever have to wonder if they're upset with you because it's out there. It's on their sleeve. There it is on their shoulders. They act aggressively. They use aggressive language. You know what they're thinking, believing, feeling. A passive-aggressive person is just as upset as the aggressive-aggressive person. Instead of saying so, you know, like I didn't like what just happened or, uh, you know, you say, are you okay? Oh, yeah, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm just a little tired right now, which is code for I ain't got the guts to tell you what's really going on, so I'm going to lie about it. Now, that's a hard one, guys, but, but I'm blunt about that one because that was my story for a lot of years. Uh, hear me, guys, passive-aggressively uh, aggressive persons, people are not being actively aggressive. They're being passively aggressive, but they're being just as aggressive, just in a different way. They're trying to control the relationship. They're being just as dysfunctional and just as sinful. And there are lots of reasons why people do it. They do it out of fear of rejection. They do it out of lack of courage to face the real issues. Some people do it because it takes time for them to get in touch with their emotions. But I did it for years in my relationship with Kim. Um, several years ago, I began to understand some of these dynamics, frankly, out of teaching them. You know, sometimes the best student's a teacher who's just trying to, to, to understand so they can explain to their students. Um, several years ago in this season of introspection, I began to realize that this is who I am. This is how I function. Partly because my personality type, I am more of a laid-back kind of personality. Some people call it phlegmatic, you know, I'm just kind of easygoing guy. Uh, things don't ruffle my feathers too much, but also because I, I don't like conflict. I hate conflict. Um, and I began to realize as I dug into this thing that part of it comes out of my childhood. Um, I had loving parents. My dad died very young, but my parents were married for 20 years. I was 19 uh, when, when dad passed. 
and my memories of growing up, all my formative years and teen years with mom and dad, is that, is that mom, uh, though she loved Jesus, was an emotionally fragile person. And so if anything happened to upset her, she got really upset. Not being here critical of my mom, it's just the, that was the reality, and my dad hated that. So the thing he would say to us over and over and over again, is it just rings in my ears, don't upset your mother, don't upset your mother. Whatever you do, you go do what you want to, just don't upset your mother. And that was kind of the model for our life growing up is don't upset your mother. Whatever you're going to do, don't upset your mother. And so I grew up with this model, you don't upset people. You, you don't upset people. And before you know it, I, I, I realized that, that, I was, I was, that I was lying to people I loved by saying everything's fine when everything wasn't fine because I didn't have the courage to deal with the issues. But here's what I came to, guys. Maybe this is a word for somebody in the room or somebody watching online, I don't know. But here's what I came to. I finally came to the place where I had to ask myself the question, how long am I going to allow what happened to me in the past to continue defining my choices in the present? At what point am I going to stop doing that and start operating according to the Word of God? And I began to change. Now, my pendulum swung the other way. And uh, for a while there, when I'd say somebody on the staff, can, can I see you in my office for a minute? They'd go, oh, no, Pastor Jim wants to see me in his office. Because I, so I had to get my balance back. He figured out pendulums don't swing from one extreme to balance. They go from one extreme to the other. And I had to work to get the balance. But hear me, guys. Passive aggressives have to eventually come to grips with the reality that they're being dishonest. And that's a sin. An unresolved sin always opens the door to damaged relationships and deeper sin. Do I need to say that again? That might be something to write down somewhere. Unresolved sin opens the door to broken relationships and ultimately deeper sin. For the passive-aggressive, it often leads to gossip or slander or even working to undermine our relationships, whatever it leads to, God can't bless a relationship like that. A similar pattern in appearance but different in cause is number two, it's punishing with silence. That, again, that was a pattern that I used in those early days, partly because of my passive-aggressive kind of nature, uh, but Kim and I would have an argument about something, and I, as an avoider of conflict, would, would go for hours, days, even sometimes, without talking to her. And I'd kind of walk around going, yeah, I'll show her. Let's see how long she can make it without hearing my lovely voice. You know, and she, she's just going on with life, and I'm kind of beating myself up, pouting over in a corner. And I finally realized my silence, hear me, guys, because if, if, you're, if you're using this pattern, you need to hear these words. I finally realized my silence was an attempt to control her. I wasn't interested in resolving the issues. I wasn't interested in, in having a healthy relationship. I wanted control. And it dawned on me one day, God didn't give me this amazing woman to control her. He gave me this woman to love her. I didn't stand at an altar and say, I promise to manipulate you for the rest of our lives. I said, I promise to love you and cherish you and respect you. So if you're using silent treatment to control your relationship, Quit it. In Jesus' name, quit it. 
Be honest and specific, but be considerate and caring in the way you do it. Number three is unloading. And I don't mean by unloading, venting, because we all have to vent once in a while. Can I get an amen? Kim and I will say to each other, once, you know what, I just need to vent for a minute. Can you just let me open up a little bit? Yeah, go ahead, pour it out. I can take it. And it wouldn't necessarily be at them. It would just be something happened today. I need to pour it out. Everybody vents every now and then. I'm talking about walking up to somebody you're in a relationship with and just letting them have it. Lots of reasons we do that one. Sometimes it's because, as I've been talking about, one of the things that I used to do a lot is we would push our emotions down, 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 and it'd be like a tea kettle that's getting hotter and hotter and hotter until it finally blows. Boom! That's what happens quite often with me. Other people do it because they get into a situation over here that bothers them, and then they come and take it out on the people that they're in relationship with. You know the old saying, the... The boss yells at the manager who yells at the worker who comes home and yells at his wife who yells at her son who yells at his sister who yells at the dog and the dog tears up the pillow. That's just kind of, you know, stupid dog. We've been getting rid of this, needing to get rid of this dog for a long time. It ain't the dog's fault. That's what dogs do, okay? They tear up pillows. That's what they do. So be careful about unloading. Unforgiveness is a huge one. Again, sometimes we're carrying anger towards somebody else, but then we take it out on people that we're in relationship with who are trying to relate to us honestly and sincerely and specifically and considerately and in a caring kind of way, and we're letting them hold it for something they didn't even do. Can I tell you that I know people who've been carrying unforgiveness toward their parents for years, and their parents aren't even alive anymore, but they're still taking it out on their spouse and their kids. And God says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. The fourth is a critical spirit. Uh, Dr. Gary Smalley, we'll talk about Dr. Smalley more later in the series. He says that there are three levels of complaints that we bring into a relationship. One of them is healthy and two of them are unhealthy. In other words, one of them uh, is functional, the other two are dysfunctional. One are fine, one is fine, the other two are sinful. He talks about complaining, criticism, and contempt. Hear me, every relationship needs the right the right to do the healthy one. We need to give each other the privilege to do the healthy one. But there's a, there's a world of difference between the three. Let, let, me, let me just give you three scenarios. You tell me which one's healthy, okay? Let's see if we can figure this out, all right? If I say I love you, I'm committed to our relationship, but yesterday when you said you'd be home for dinner and you didn't call, I felt unappreciated by all the effort that I made to put a nice meal on the table. I realize I may have... Read the whole situation wrong, but this is how I'm feeling, and I want us to clear the air. Okay? That's one, one scenario. Scenario number two, I was in shock yesterday when you did that. I can't believe you treated me that way. I'm sick and tired of you doing that. Scenario number two. Scenario number three, you moron, you idiot, you always do this, and you are never going to change. Look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Just hear me, guys. If we don't do it in a healthy way, we will end up doing it in an unhealthy way. Which one of those three is healthy? 
It's the complaining one. It's the one that honestly, specifically, yet considerately and caringly say, here's what happened and here's how I feel. Can we get this on the table and sort this out? You got to give the people you're in relationship with the opportunity to complain. But if you're being critical, you did this and you meant it when you did it and I know you knew what you were doing when you did it. Or if you've gone all the way to contempt and your anger has reached these nuclear levels where you're always connecting the person with the action and you're tying it all together and attacking the person, then you've got to know that's a sinful pattern of communication and Satan wins every time. If you've got complaints, air them. Be specific, be honest, but be careful, be considerate in the process. The fifth one is verbal abuse. This can take all kinds of forms. One of the one of the most common ones is sarcasm. Sarcasm of course can be fun. Sarcasm is designed to be demeaning in a fun kind of way. It takes a little bit of truth in order for the sarcasm to work. Uh, you know, and we we twist it enough just to create a little bit of pain, create a little bit of shock, get a little bit of a laugh. And people will say to me sometimes, "Well, <clears throat> you know, Pastor Jim, I'm I'm <coughs> I'm just sarcastic by nature. I'm, I'm just teasing. I don't remember anything by it. Here, here's what I need you to hear me say if that's who you are. It is only teasing if it's fun for both parties. It's only teasing if it's fun for both parties. And the victim of the tease gets to decide what the line is. Not unusual for a victim to say, oh, that one hurt only to have the attacker say, what's the matter, can't take a joke? It's like you stabbed them and twisted it and pulled it out. I mean, that is not a functional, that's abuse. It's abuse. Other forms of verbal abuse are things like name-calling, comparisons, you're just like so-and-so. If you were more like so-and-so, uh, public shaming. Don't, don't you hate to be out with a couple and, uh, and one of them makes a cri- critical comment about their spouse, their partner right in front of them, in front of you, awkward. I don't want to be here anymore. Hear me, guys. If you don't have the courage and the character to talk about it privately, please don't bring it up to me publicly. Rule of thumb, compliment in public, correct in private. Compliment in public, correct in private. Six is manipulation. In other words, using illegal, uh, illegitimate means to control somebody's decisions. There's a huge difference between influence and manipulation. I give you influence in my life. You manipulate me with your control issues. I've seen Christians do this. I've had people come to me and say, God told me to tell you. Well, they just pulled the trump card out. What am I going to say? I'm going to argue with God? I had a guy come to me oh, 30 years ago. I preached in a church, and, uh, and a guy came to me afterwards. He said, while you were speaking today, the Lord spoke into my spirit, and I have a word from the Lord for you. You're supposed to be on television. And I thought about it for a second and decided I was going to be honest and specific with him and try to be considerate in carrying the process. And here's what I said. I said, that's funny. I talked to him this morning. He didn't mention it to me. But if he does, I'll take that into consideration. Thank you very much, because I knew that wasn't what I was called to do. I was a pastor. 
more common is social manipulation where somebody will get you in a group of people and say to a group of people, has anybody ever done this to you? I've had people do it to me over the years. They try to get you to do something privately and you won't do it and they get you in a group and they say to the group, don't you think Jim should do? I had a guy did that to me one time. He got me in a group and he did that and I said, sir, I told you privately I wasn't going to do it so now that you've made it public, I'll tell you publicly I'm not going to do that. He called me the next day and he said, you embarrassed me yesterday when you did that. I said, sir, you need to understand if you ever try to manipulate me in front of that group again, I'll embarrass you again. Because I don't submit to manipulation. I'll give you influence, but I don't submit to manipulation, guilt, shame, social pressure, spiritual pressure. It's all manipulation, and it's wrong. You've got to understand, guys, that if you're using that in your relationships, if you're using that with your children to get them to stay in line, one day they're going to leave, and they won't want to visit. You're doing that with your spouse. One day he or she's going to get enough strength to say, I ain't taking it no more. And they're going to pack their bags and go. If you're doing it with fellow church members, they'll say, that church is dysfunctional. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Whatever it is, manipulation is a sinful way to try to influence others. And manipulators eventually find themselves alone because it's a sinful pattern. Dishonesty, of course, is the bottom line of all of them in terms of sinful, dysfunctional patterns, whether you're denying a problem, covering a sin, or, or just, I just don't want you to see the real me, whatever it is. You cannot be intimate and dishonest at the same time. Say that again. You cannot be intimate and dishonest at the same time. Intimacy requires transparency. Adam and Eve were in a totally intimate, close relationship with God himself where he walked, came for a visit and they walked together in the cool of the evening until sin entered the picture and the moment it did, the relationship was broken. Intimacy requires transparency. And what was the first question that God asked them? Why are you hiding? What are you hiding from me? What's going on? He knew what was going on. He wanted them to be honest with him. But whatever the circumstance, whatever the communication, sin or dysfunction, the Bible says this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, let us run the race that is before us and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything, anything, somebody say anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. So in relationship, in communicating in relationships, be honest, be as specific as you can be, be careful and considerate in doing so. And then the third part of the foundation, and we'll close, is be quick about it. Be safe, be quick. What does verse 27 say? Be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. He's talking about letting anger linger. And, and go on and on and on. Why, why, why is that so important? Anybody know? Anybody know why it's so important that you go ahead and deal with it? Deal with it while it's fresh? Anybody know? It's because that word devil in that passage is actually the Greek word diabolos. 
that literally means the slanderer. So here's what happens. When you go to bed with your anger without having dealt with it, Satan starts whispering in your ear, again, based on this one event, this one thing that you don't like, and he starts slandering the person you're in relationship with and starts whispering all this junk about the person you're in relationship with. So you went to bed a little bit angry. You woke up the next morning and you look at that person and go, I am married to a monster. I think I told you. I actually had a couple come see me one time. They sat in my office, and, I, and they looked perfectly lovely and intelligent and professional and, and bright. And I said, how can I help you? And he said, well, you can't tell. I said, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to tell me. He said, well, I'm married to the devil. That's what's going on. I said, well, she looks perfectly lovely to me. I don't know what, what you're talking about. He had been allowing this thing to fester until Satan had whispered in his ear that he was married to a monster. Because what he did is he took the worst of her character traits and magnified them. I mentioned last week, that's what Satan does. He magnifies the negative till it consumes the whole. I've seen it in marriages so many times. I've seen it in friendships. They start out great. They start out warm. They start out friendly. And in no time at all, all they can see is the flaws. You couldn't see any flaws in the early days, and now that's all you can see. Why? Because you let the devil Get a foothold in the relationship. Hear me, guys. We were not made to be reservoirs of anger. We were made to be forgivers. Do I need to say that again? We were not made <clears throat> to be reservoirs of anger. We were made to be forgivers. Constantly forgiving. Consistently resolving issues. When you don't, it withers the fruit of healthy relationships. So every single day, commit to be a forgiver. Every single day, address the issues as they arrive. Every single day, commit to get help if you need it. Every single day, to commit to operate your conversations from a godly foundation. Be honest and specific. Be careful and considerate and be quick about it so that you will be saved. Does that sound easy? No, it's not. That's why communication, though incredibly important, is incredibly difficult. Because the fact is, nothing I've talked to you about today comes naturally to any of us. We are naturally selfish individuals. Boy, it's quiet in this room right now. It's, it's, we're born in our own sinful nature, and we have to deal with that issue. We have to crucify the flesh. And the only way you do that is if you give your life to Jesus Christ and let him start living through you. The only way it happens is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So some of you in this room right now, you say, I can't forgive that person. You don't know what they did. No, Well, you can't be a forgiver until you've been forgiven. You can't be gracious until you receive grace. That's why the horizontal relationships are only healthy when you have a vertical one. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, that's the beginning. I didn't ask you what kind of church you went to or grew up in or whether you were confirmed or baptized or dedicated. I just what's your relationship with Jesus right now? If you don't have one, then that's where it starts. And I'm, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life, and I'm going to start doing my life your way. I'm going to ask you to help me get there because, man, I'm a long ways from it. Some of you are followers of Jesus Christ. You've been followers for a long time, but if you're honest, you're letting uh, 
And was it Paul said, don't be drunk with wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You're letting the spirits of this world define how you relate instead of letting the Holy Spirit define how you relate. So your prayer is, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm still struggling with this. And you need to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed, fully immersed in Him. You know, when we baptized some folks last week and we put them under the water, they were completely immersed. They were under the water, completely enveloped with, in the water. And then they came up out of that water new life in Jesus Christ. Well, that's what I'm talking about in the Holy Spirit, getting fully immersed in Him where He's in charge. He's not just present, He's president. So your prayer this morning as we close might be, I need Jesus, I need grace, I need forgiveness in order to be gracious and forgiving. It might be, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit operating in my life. I need him in charge. I need to pray to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to pray both of those prayers Maybe you need to pray both. Maybe you need to pray one or the other. But would you stand with me? And let's pray those prayers together before we leave this place this morning. The altars will be open in a minute. There's some people that would love to pray with you on either of those counts or anything else going on in your heart. But at the very least, would you pray this prayer? Let's start with the first one, the beginning. If you're not absolutely sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that he's become Lord of your life, would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I realize that the reason my relationships struggle is because I'm trying to do it in my own power. The result is I've held you at arm's length and I've held the people in my life at arm's length. I pray that you'd give me a fresh start today, a new life. Forgive me of my sin, become Savior of my soul, Lord of my life. Father, you know who's praying right now. Regardless of their background, church or unchurched, whatever, they just, you know, right in this moment, you know who's praying that you would be Lord of their lives. Give them the assurance that you've heard that prayer and something amazing has just begun in them. For others of us, Lord, we need to pray that we be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in Him, fully immersed. And so would you pray that prayer with me, followers of Christ? Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Would you control, empower, direct my life? I need strength that I don't have. I need power that I don't have. I need a comfort that I don't have. I need a teacher that I don't have. I need someone to help me remember what Pastor just taught us when I'm in the throes of an emotional communication situation. Holy Spirit, would you be that for me? Would you fill me up and empower me? Let the gifts of the Spirit operate through me and in me. Father, you know who's praying. You know where they are in their journey with you. And I pray that every one of us is taking a step in your direction First and foremost, to have that intimate relationship with you that you made us for, that you long for. And then secondly, so that we'll have the power and resources to have the healthy relationships with one another that we long for so deeply. Thank you that that opportunity exists because of Jesus. I pray that it would be real in all of our lives. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I really want to know. You can text New Life to 55498. You can take a connect card, write a note, check a box, do something, let me know. Leave that card at the desk or with one of the ushers before you leave. The altars are open. There are people that would love to pray with you this morning, right now, here, right now. Take advantage of this opportunity. But, but let's move forward knowing that the communication patterns in the relationships of our lives are healthy, God-honoring. Lead us to the intimacy we long for. Father, take us from this place. Uh, use us for your glory and give us the abundant life you promised. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. We continue the series next week. I hope you'll be with us. God bless you. Thanks for coming.